through 20. I'm going to be reading uh, 14 through 23. And the reason I say there might be one more message is because I'm not really addressing the final greetings in verses 21 to 23. And I need to figure out if there's enough there for a whole sermon or not. And so we'll decide that, um, but not today. So the, today uh, we'll read uh, chapter, or chapter 4, verses 14 through 23, but the focus will be on verses 14 through 20. And I invite you to bow with me as we ask for the Spirit's anointing on His Word. Lord God, as we uh, come before your throne this morning, as we come together, O oh Lord, to hear your word and to respond to your word, Lord, we come uh, under the authority of your word. And I pray that you would speak to us, O oh Lord, through it. It is living and active. It's like a sword that pierces into the depth of our hearts and our marrow. And I pray, O oh Lord, that we would receive it. And so I pray that you give us eyes to hear, eyes to see and ears to hear. And give us hearts to receive this morning, Lord, nothing less and nothing more than what you would have us to hear through your word. I pray, O oh Lord, that you would make my lips devoted to you. And may they say nothing less and nothing more than you would have me to say. And so, Lord, speak to us now. Grow us through your word. Transform us. Change us, O Lord, for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Philippians chapter 4, starting at verse 14. If you're able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. So just to refresh your memory, uh, last week we looked at, uh, starting at verse 10, where Paul had said, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. So he's beginning to thank them for their gifts. And then he kind of did a little hiatus where he talked about contentment. Not that I need your gifts, he said, because I've learned to be content in any and every situation. So he kind of had this little... little uh, parenthesis on, on contentment. Now he picks up that theme of their giving again. So he says in verse 14, Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. And moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out for Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. And that's where we're going to end this morning, but I will read the next few verses. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. You may be seated. Well, with, uh, with Valentine's Day just around the corner, some of us find ourselves in a place of giving. And at least to some degree, 
What we give our, our loved ones on Valentine's Day is a reflection of what's in our heart. And so, for example, if it dawns on you late tonight that tomorrow is Valentine's Day, and so you quick run out to the nearest gas station and scrounge up in whatever you know you have and just buy the cheapest little thing you can find. You get a little card off the clearance rack and maybe a little box of junior mints so you cover your bases with chocolate, and then you you, you, you bring that and and uh, you know bring that back to your to your, your loved one, you know, just to do just enough to kind of cover your tracks and, and make sure that you're, you're off the hook. That's not exactly a glowing testimony of what is in your heart for that person. Better than nothing, I suppose, but not exactly a glowing testimony. So, so too, our giving to God is a reflection of what's in our heart. Our giving is a window into our souls. And so as we come to this last section in Paul's letter to the Philippians, he, he addresses this topic of, of giving. In fact, this is one of the main reasons that he has written this letter. It is in some ways, there's a lot more in it than just that, but it is in some ways a missionary thank you letter. He's thanking them for the gifts they have, the main reasons, the main purposes in his writing the letter. Those gifts of theirs have greatly helped uh, him. They've, they've greatly benefited his, his physical needs while he's been imprisoned in Rome. In fact, without their gifts, he most likely would have been held in a dark and dingy dungeon with uh, probably nothing more than just bread and water. With their gifts, he's been able to have a much better situation to be uh, under house arrest in Rome, so he uh, is still in, uh, in prison, but he has much more freedom to move about, and he has warm clothes, and he has uh, better food to eat, and all those things. So their, their gifts have gone a long way to help his physical state of existence while he's imprisoned in Rome. And so their gifts, of course, they sent, as we saw earlier in the letter, and he mentions here again in chapter 4, they've sent their gifts through uh, their fellow servant, Epaphroditus, who in fact risked his life because that's a long journey from Philippi to Rome, and he almost died along the way, and so uh, those gifts came to him through Epaphroditus. And so Paul writes this letter then to thank them, to thank them for their giving, to thank them for their gifts. It has been about a decade or so uh, from the time that Paul first started the church in Philippi to the, this point of his writing this letter to them. And over the course of that 10 or so years, they have established a, a, a history and a pattern of faithful giving. And so now at the end of this letter, Paul gives full expression to his thankfulness for their gifts. And by the way, I just would like to say that I very much resonate with what Paul says in these verses and his a joy for the Philippian church and his thankfulness for their, their patterns of giving because that has been my experience in this church over the course of the 16 years that I've been here. I, we have established a, a history and a pattern of faithful giving and I always, like Paul, thank God for you in my prayers when I think about that because that has been one of the huge blessings and the huge uh, uh, gifts of this, of this church and it is... Uh, a beautiful thing in the eyes of God. Now, I mentioned uh, last week, and I'll just mention this again, that some have said that they, they kind of knock Paul a little bit for having this Thanksgiving section be at the end of his letter. It's like a, they think it's a slight to the Philippians. It's kind of like, thank you, but not really thank you. And then his language, they say, is, you know, I thank you for your gifts, although I don't really need them. And so they, they make, they, they, 
kind of Paul in a negative light to say that this is kind of a, kind of a, a poor expression of his thankfulness, but that's really not the case at all. Uh, placing it at the end of the letter is a place of, it puts it in an, in an emphatic position. So as this letter was read to the congregation, the last note in their ears that they would have heard is this note of thanksgiving uh, for their gifts. And so we see in, in Paul's words this morning uh, five principles that apply uh, not only to, to the Philippians' giving, but to our giving as well. So I want to run through them with you. We'll deal with each one fairly briefly. And these are things, like I said, that I believe God wants us to hear from his word as well. So the first principle of giving is that our giving is a form of partnership in the gospel. Uh, when Paul thanks the Philippians for the gifts that they gave, he couches his language in the context of the gospel. So he says to them, it was good of you to share in my troubles in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel. When I set out for Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. Now, why have I underlined those words the word share, because two times in these verses, Paul speaks of their giving as a matter of, of sharing. And that word share is a translation of a Greek word that comes from the, the koinonia group, which means fellowship or, or partnership. In fact, it's the same word that Paul used back in chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, when he, when he began to hint at his joy and gratitude for their giving. And he said this, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your koinonia your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And so Paul now, coming, back to, uh, coming up to chapter 4, at the end of his letter, he draws on that same word, and by doing so, he's saying that their giving is a form of partnership in the gospel. By giving, they have entered into, into fellowship with Paul. They've become partners with him in the advancing of the kingdom of Christ. And this is really how we ought to think of our giving as well. It's not a duty to be performed. It's not just another bill to pay. It's not just a matter of helping to provide for material needs. It is something far richer and far deeper and far more beautiful than that. It is a partnership in the gospel. It is contributing to the cause of the advancing of the kingdom of Christ. It is an intensely spiritual act and one that aids our process of sanctification. If you remember, we saw back in chapter 1 that at the heart of that word koinonia is, is this deep bond of togetherness that's based on a common cause or concern. That's kind of a, a technical definition of koinonia, a deep bond of togetherness that's based on a shared cause or concern. And in this case, the common cause or concern is the gospel, so that our giving feeds and, and strengthens the bond that we share as brothers and sisters in Christ and as fellow servants of the gospel. It is a beautiful thing. And so to have us, to, to, to have us begin to develop eyes to see our giving in that way and our giving in that light, that it's not just something we do. It's not just something we provide materially for a, a, a building or for the needs of the church. It is an act that is between us and God that strengthens the bond that we share as fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and partners in the gospel. The second principle is that our giving is a means of spiritual investment. Notice what Paul says in verse 17. After thanking them for their financial gifts, he says, not that I desire your gifts, what I desire is, is that more be credited to your account. 
Now, a more literal translation is, I seek the, the prophet, I seek the prophet that accumulates to your account. So in other words, what Paul is saying is, I, I'm thankful for your giving, not just because it helps me. And again, Paul is walking that kind of fine line, that, that delicate line that, that really only, you know, that pastors know better than probably anybody of, of you know, thanking the, the, the congregation for their gifts, but not wanting to communicate that I desperately need them and I want more, that in my thanking, I'm only asking in sort of a veiled way for you to give more. And so Paul is kind of trying to find that right balance. Thank you for your gifts. I don't, not that I really need them. I'm, I'm content in all circumstances, but I really, really, truly am thankful for them. And so Paul's kind of walking that, that delicate dance again here, but he, this is what he says, I'm thankful for your giving, not just because it helps me, but all the more because I know in my heart that it is helping you. And why is that? Because he says your giving is like making an investment in your own spiritual bank account, an investment that, that is increasingly, continuously the Greek there is a present participle in indicating ongoing action, increasingly and continuously paying dividends. Your giving is an indication of your spiritual health. It's evidence that your relationship with Christ is in good order and it's continuing to grow. And so Paul says, I'm happy for, for what your giving is doing, not, not for me. I'm happy for what your giving is doing for you. Because right giving always enriches the giver. It's just like when you invest your money or put it into a savings account and it brings a return on your investment, although the return in that case is, is minuscule and small. But Paul says that our giving brings a spiritual return beyond our imagination. And of course, we see a similar idea in the words of Jesus who said to the rich young ruler, go sell your possessions and give to the poor. And then what? What will happen if you do that? You, you have your, your heart is so entrenched and so tied to money and to wealth. Try, try giving it away. Try selling everything you have, giving it all away. Give your money to the poor and then What's going to happen? You're going to, be, you're going to have nothing. You're going to be emptied and without and destitute. Jesus says, no, you will have stored up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Or in the words of Proverbs 19, verse 17, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord and he will repay him for his deed. Our giving is investing in the storehouse of riches and treasures in heaven, investing in spiritual blessings that are far richer than anything we would stand to lose. So the gifts that we give for the cause of Christ and his kingdom are never wasted. They're never wasted. It's never that you give and you're going to have to go without in some way. They're, they're never wasted. They are invested and will bring a spiritual return that far outweighs what was given. Number three. The third principle is that our giving is pleasing to God. Paul says of the gifts that the Philippians gave, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. Does anybody know what kind of, what Paul is alluding to when he talks about their giving being a fragrant offering pleasing to God? Does that bring to anybody's mind anything from the Old Testament? Go ahead and shout it out if you have an idea. What kind of offering? Huh? 
Yes, well, thank a burnt offering, which is an expression of a, a, a gift offering. So, in the Old Testament, a, the, Paul's language here of a fragrant offering is allusion to that old covenant burnt offering, which you see again and again and again all throughout the Old Testament, beginning, well, actually beginning in, in Genesis with, uh, with Noah right after the flood, and he offered a burnt offering to the Lord. But then especially, it, it kind of kicks into high gear in the book of Leviticus, and we see it again and again throughout, the, throughout that book and then and beyond. Um, all throughout the Old Testament. It is a, a gift offering. Uh, the burnt offering is a gift offering that was to be completely consumed by fire. And it was offered as an act of worship, expressing complete devotion, complete dedication, complete surrender, complete uh, commitment on the part of the worshiper to the Lord. And the offering that was made in this way, this burnt offering, was said to be, all throughout the book of Leviticus and beyond, a burnt offering, a food offering, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. And so when Paul says that the gifts of the Philippians are a fragrant offering pleasing to God, he's drawing on this language and this imagery of the burnt offering. But just like under the old covenant, what makes the offering pleasing to God is not the physical act itself, but it's the heart of total devotion that lies behind the act. And so this is why, for example, God said to his people through the prophet Jeremiah, your burnt offerings are not acceptable. Your, your sacrifices do not please me. Well, why? how can that be? Because a burnt offering is pleasing to the Lord. It's an aroma that is pleasing to the Lord. They're burning offerings. It's the same meat. It's the same fire. Smells exactly the same. Why is it not? Why does God then say, this is not pleasing to me? And on the surface, on the outside, everything is exactly the same. The reason is because they were just going through the physical motions, but their hearts were far removed from God. It's not the action itself. It's not the physical stuff itself that God desires. It is the heart behind the action. And it's the same with our giving. What makes our giving like a fragrant offering, a pleasing aroma to God, is not the physical money, as if his delight could be purchased with our funds. What is pleasing to him is the heart that is so filled with devotion to him and, and gratitude for what he has done for us that, that, that it cheerfully gives, it delights to give, it wants to give, and it doesn't really matter how much it is, but it, this is my offering to you, and I'm so delighted to give it because of what you have given and done for me. And we can understand that, can't we? And again, let's go back to the Valentine's thing. Suppose you get up, so I'll just pick on your husband. Suppose you're a husband, you're, you're married, and you get up tomorrow morning, and, and if you're, you know, and you say to your wife, well, I suppose it's Valentine's Day, so I guess that means I've got to buy you something. And so on your way back from work, you stop at the store, and you, you get the same thing you've gotten every other year, and you come home, and you, get in, you come into the garage, you go through the door, you walk up to your wife, and you, and you give her this, this little tin of chocolates or the flowers, whatever the case may be. You give it to her, and you say, well, you know, here's, here's the gift that you're entitled to on account of the fact that it's, uh, you know, here's your annual gift that you're entitled to on, on account of the fact that it's another Valentine's Day. And we probably better tighten up our spending the rest of the week to make up for the loss, but I hope you like it. In what universe would any woman be pleased with that kind of giving? It's not the physical gifts that matter. Or like I've, I've mentioned before, suppose you just you set up a, an ongoing, you, know, you set up an account that, that every year on Valentine's Day, it just sends something to your wife so you don't ever have to think about it again. 
right? I wouldn't recommend it. It's not the physical gifts that matter. It's not, it's not the, the thing itself that matters. It's the heart behind the giving. What, what she wants is to know that you love and cherish her and that you delight in giving her gifts as an expression of your love. It doesn't even matter if it costs a lot of money. It could be just some homemade thing or a nice letter that you spend a lot of time putting thought into. It's the heart that matters. That's the way it is with our giving. What makes it pleasing to God is when we have hearts that, are, that, are, that, that love him and are devoted to him and our giving is born out of that love and devotion. Principle number four is that our giving is to be sacrificial and generous. See, the, the Philippians stood out among the other churches for their sacrificial and generous giving. Uh, Paul says, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out for Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. And he goes on to say, he, said, he says, even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. So not, not only did the Philippians give generously on multiple occasions over the course of the, the last 10 years or so, but they gave sacrificially out of their circumstances, which were circumstances of extreme affliction and poverty. And because of this, Paul used them as an example for other churches. So it, it, we see it so clearly in his letter to the Corinthians. So Paul said, uh, writing to the Corinthians, and he draws on the Philippians as an example to kind of motivate the Corinthians to, to excel in the grace of giving. So he writes to the Corinthians and he says this, Now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the Macedonian churches, there were three churches in Macedonia, Thessalonica, Berea, and Philippi. And out of those three, it was the, the Philippians, it was the church at Philippi that was renowned for its giving. So really, in a sense, the, though Paul lumps them together and says the Macedonian churches, he's really talking about, about the Philippians. And he says, you know, you want to know, and I want to show you an example. I want to hold before you an example of generous and sacrificial giving as an inspiration that you might give more, and it's the church at Philippi. So he says this, he says of, of them, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Now that just doesn't make any sense, does it? You, 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 that, 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 there's, that's not a, a normal equation. You put together, right, you, know, you put, put together severe trial and, and extreme poverty, the, the outcome is going to be reduced giving. Extreme poverty, severe trial, is going to be reduced giving. Instead, for the Philippians, it is increased. It is rich generosity. And Paul says, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. By encouraging the Corinthians to give like the Philippians, Paul was sending a message to all churches and to all Christians that this is what our giving ought to look like. That it ought to be generous, and many of us can get on board with that because it's not that hard to give out of wealth and abundance, but Paul also says that it ought to be sacrificial. And that's where it begins to maybe prick us just a little bit more. Our giving is to be a costly giving. 
The kind of giving that dares to give beyond our ability, beyond what we think our resources would allow so that when we come to a situation where we think, well, there's some things going on in, in life right now and, and it's probably a time to scale back on my giving and I can maybe make up for that later on when, when more resources come in. The principle here is those are situations in which I think Paul would challenge us and hold us up to the Philippians and say, how about, how about giving a little more? John Wanamaker was an American uh, merchant and philanthropist, and uh, he made a lot of money, but he also gave a lot of money to a lot of different Christian uh, ministries and causes and, and missions. And, and one of the, the missions that he supported was, was a mission, a, a, a ministry in China. And uh, the story is told that he took a trip one time to China to kind of see how uh, the money that he had given, how well that money was being, was being used. And so he goes to China, and uh, there's a, a village there that um, his money had gone to help to, to support or to fund a, a chapel uh, for the local congregation there. And so he goes to kind of see things, and he's walking around the area. And as he's walking around, he's got somebody with him kind of giving him a little tour and things like that. And he sees, he sees a, a man uh, plowing a field, um, an old man plowing a field. But it was a really strange Sight, something like he had never seen before, and it kind of stopped him in his tracks. And so he, he had to ask about it because what made it so strange is, what, is that instead of this, uh, the plow being pulled by uh, two oxen, which was the typical case um, in, in, that, in that region, in that village, it was being pulled instead by one oxen and a young man. And so this man is kind of yoked together with an ox, and together, side by side, they're, they're pulling this old man and plowing the field. And he's like, what is going on? You know, this is a really strange sight. And so the guy who was giving him the tour told him the story and uh, said that, you know, uh, the village chapel, he said that, he said that this, the, man, the old man that's handling the plow and the young man helping the ox to pull the plow, they're, they're father and son. And he said, the, the story is this, you know, that chapel that you, that you funded, it, it's gotten into a pretty bad state and it needs a lot of repairs. And so we've been praying as a congregation, you know, for funds to come in and to repair the chapel, repair the chapel. We've been praying and praying and praying, but the funds haven't come in. And so it just sits in disrepair. And he said this, this, young, this, this son, uh, this young man went up to his father and he said, you know, what if we sell one of, our, one of our oxen? And that would be more than enough to cover all of the, the cost to completely repair the chapel. And the, father, the old man said, well, yeah, but how are we going to do our farming? And the young man said, well, I, I will take the place of the ox. I'll, I'll help the, the other ox pull the plow. And they've been doing that for, for weeks and weeks and weeks. And so Wanamaker looked at this young man with sweat streaming down his back, and, and he's straining and striving, and he's walking with that stinky old ox pulling the plow. And he says he was moved to tears. And he prayed in his heart, O oh Lord, let me be hitched to a plow, that I may know the grace of such sacrificial giving. Our giving is to be generous, and it's also to be sacrificial. As Dio Moody put it, give until you feel it, and then keep on giving until you don't feel it. Number five, Finally, the, the last principle is that our giving is surpassed by God's supplying. When we give generously out of genuine devotion to God, He will supply all 
that we need. We see this principle again and again throughout Scripture. Paul says uh, here, the, the same principle in verse 19. He says, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. What Paul is saying is that God has an infinite and an inexhaustible supply of provision. We, we, we can't ever outgive God. He meets all of our needs according to the riches of his glory. Think about that expression for a moment, according to the riches of his glory. That's how God meets our needs. And, and the riches of his glory include all that he is and all that he has as the creator of the universe. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the psalmist said. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. It all belongs to him. To him belong all the birds in the air and the fish in the sea. His are, are all the rubies and the diamonds and the castles of kings and all the wonders of heavenly beings and all of the stars and the planets and the galaxies in places unseen. It all belongs to him. All of the, the treasures and all of the mines yet on earth in all the world, it all belongs to him. All of this is part of the riches of his glory, and it is out of this inexhaustible supply of riches that he meets our needs. In the words of Kent Hughes, God's incalculable wealth, together with the ineffable splendor of his glory, take those two things together, they form the treasury and the dazzling context from which he lavishes his children according to his riches. And we see the same idea in Paul's letter to the Corinthians. He urged them to be generous in their giving. And he promised, just like he does here to the Philippians, that God would supply all that they need. So he said to the Corinthians, whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Consider the, the stacking of superlatives in that statement. God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in, in every good work. You will never go without. For he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. As the prophet said, give and see if I do not throw open the storehouses and see how much will be given to you. You see, that's the pattern that we give generously and God provides all that we need and more out of his inexhaustible supply of provision. It's a beautiful principle that has, comes through again and again throughout Scripture. In her book, uh, The Path of Loneliness, Elizabeth Elliot recalls the story of a king who went into the village streets to greet his subjects. And so in this uh, story, a beggar was uh, sitting by the roadside and he was holding out his bowl for, for alms. And he saw the king coming, and he thought, man, this, this is going to be great. He's expecting a, a really significant handout from the king. And the king comes up to him, and, and to the beggar's dismay, 
the king doesn't give him anything, but the king instead asks the beggar to give him something. And so the, the beggar is kind of taken aback and was not expecting that, but he reaches into his bowl and he, and he fishes out three small grains of rice and he drops it into the king's hand. And then the king goes on and the beggar stays there throughout the rest of the day with his bowl held out for more you know, alms to come in. And at the end of the day, the beggar poured out his bowl of alms to see what he had collected over the course of the day. And to his astonishment, he found in the bottom of his bowl three grains of pure gold. So what he had given to the king had been replenished with something of value far beyond what he would have dreamed. Now we have to be careful, of course, not to draw from that story and not to draw from this promise of Paul the twisted notion that we can use God to get material blessings. Many have, have done that over the years, and that's, that's at the heart of prosperity gospel, which is a self-centered, uh, pro, you know, self-centered prosperity gospel rooted in, in, in gain, and I want to get more material wealth, and maybe I can use God and, and his promises to, to gain more for myself. That has nothing to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is God-centered through and through. No, the promise is that if we give generously out of a genuine desire to serve God and, and not ourselves, God will abundantly supply all that we need. And again, not necessarily everything we want, but he will provide all that we need. So these are some of the principles of giving that we can draw from the conclusion of Paul's letter to the Philippians. And again, before we wrap up, I just want to say that, that I echo Paul's heart for this congregation and, and the faithfulness in giving over the history of this church has been astounding. And, and the fruit that has come from that um, is, is amazing and it's to God's glory. And, and so I feel in my heart what Paul felt for the Philippians. I am so thankful not only just for what it has, your giving has provided uh, for the body of Christ and for the kingdom of God, but, but what it has, is doing in you as givers um, because all these things that Paul says are true and your giving is investing into your spiritual bank account. It is giving glory to God. It is aiding in your sanctification and it is a, a beautiful, beautiful thing. So in the end... This whole theme of giving is really subsumed under the broader theme of God's glory. As the God of glory who owns all things, everything that we give already belongs to Him. God in His glory is the owner, possessor of all things, and so everything we give already belongs to Him. As the old hymn says, we give thee but thine own, whate'er the gift may be. All that we have is thine alone, a trust, O Lord, from thee. And it's out of the riches of His glory that He then also supplies all that we need. And so there is really no better and no more fitting way uh, to end than the way Paul does in verse 20, which is with a doxology. To our God and Father, then be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's bow together. Oh Lord, as we come before your throne this morning in a time of silent prayer and response, we, we do 
give you glory. And I pray, O oh Lord, that you would move within each of us, O oh Lord, as we come before your throne. May we surrender to you and offer ourselves to you that we may grow and excel in the grace of giving. And may our giving, O oh Lord, be like a burnt offering, this fragrant offering that is pleasing to you. Lord, work in our hearts by your Spirit in a way that you know each of us needs. Oh, Lord, move us more and more to grow and to excel in the grace of giving. Lord, not, because, not only because it is the right thing to do, but, Lord, because it is pleasing to you, it is good for us, it is an investment, oh, Lord, that will reap generous return. And may our giving, O Lord, be as a burnt offering, pleasing and acceptable to you. And may we know more and more in ever deepening ways that you, as the God of all glory, will meet all of our needs according to the riches of your glory in Christ Jesus. Oh Lord, may we continue to grow in the grace of giving. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.